every detail of it. And uh, so I encourage you to read Ezekiel 38 and 39 this week, uh, because we're just going to give you the highlights of this prophecy. I want to talk about Ezekiel just for the moment. You know, he was an incredible prophet, wasn't he? Okay. Yeah, okay. I can see I've been away and you guys have got slack. You're lazy. <laughs> you are lazy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I want, us, I want us to look and see uh, just how amazing this prophet Ezekiel was. Remember when he prophesied about the, the city of, uh, of Tyre? This amazing prophecy and how detailed it was. And then you go back into history and you see how it was fulfilled exactly, precisely as Ezekiel foretold uh, this prophecy. You can find that prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 26 and uh, it tells about this. But what that does, it gives us, uh, gives the prophet credibility. So that when we look at the prophecies in Ezekiel 38, we're going to see that this is a man who, who hears God. This is a man who knows what he's talking about. And so uh, I just want to give you a, a breakdown very briefly of, of the book of Ezekiel, because it's not a book we, we visit very often. And so I, as we're going to be plunging into chapter 38, I just want to give you a very broad overview of the book of Ezekiel. Now, remember, Ezekiel was a Jewish prophet that was carried away in the Babylonian captivity. The Bible tells us that he was taken away in the second wave of deportations and that Daniel was taken away in the first wave of deportations. And so chapters chapter 1 through 24 actually explains Israel's judgment. How many of you know that Israel, like us, don't always get it right before the Lord? Can I have an amen? And so God disciplines his people. It's an act of his love because he wants us to do right. And here, chapters 1 through 24 of the book of Ezekiel, is the, the prophet explains why Israel has come under judgment, why the Babylonians have come down and, and taken them captive. And, and in a sentence, it was because of their sin. Then in chapters 25 uh, through 32, it talks about the surrounding nations, how they're going to be caught up in this Babylonian judgment that's coming upon Israel. And it talks about the judgment of the Philistines and the Amorites and the Moabites. And so that, that happens in 25 through 32. Then in chapters 33, it's the turning point of the book. Because in, in chapter 33, Ezekiel finds out that the city and the temple of Jerusalem has been destroyed. And he's, he is devastated. He calls out to God. And God gives him like a second commission, if you like. Because from chapters 34 uh, to through 48 to the end of the book of Ezekiel, it's a word of encouragement. It's a word of consolation. Because the, the, the tribe of Judah have been absolutely devastated by this Babylonian captivity. And so God wants to encourage his people and give them hope, and he speaks about the restoration. I know that this is going to come as a major shock to some of you, but chapter 37 comes immediately before chapters 38 and 39. <laughs> That's amazing. That's why you came to church for such a revelation. But chapter 37 is interesting because chapter 37 speaks about the restoration of Israel, the regathering of, of the people from the land. So we're going to pick it up and, and start talking about Ezekiel chapter 37 through 38 and verse 8. That's the first verse I want to look at, uh, Ezekiel 38 and verse 8. And it really speaks about the regathering of Israel. And uh, at that time, that, that verse actually describes the 
Israel will be regathered, and at the end of that time, there will be a war that takes place. Okay, so before Israel can be regathered, it must be scattered, right? And that's exactly what the prophets were told. You know, when you look at the nation of, of Israel, there's an amazing amount of history and, and prophecy about the nation. And uh, you, you find that if you look at the historical records, uh, it, it prophesied uh, in the Old Testament that Israel would be scattered. Um, it was also prophesied by Jesus, just well, almost a generation before it happened. Um, but in, in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke 21, we see that Jesus was talking to the disciples. They came to him all excited about the temple. And he said that this temple, not one stone will be left upon another. And he began to taste the table basically, and, and, the, the, and you'll be dispersed throughout the whole world. And that we know that according to history, Jesus said that at least 40 years before it happened. So it's prophecy. In the year AD 70, the Roman general Titus came down, destroyed the temple, and took the Jewish people captive and dispersed them out throughout the Roman world. An exact fulfillment of what Jesus had said 40 years before. But even if you go back into the Old Testament, you can go back thousands of years and see that that was prophesied by the other prophets. So Jesus was just collaborating and, and authenticating that what they were saying was actually true. And so Israel was scattered uh, in the year 1780, and for nearly 2,000 years, think about it, the nation of Israel ceased to exist as a nation. Absolutely incredible. And Ezekiel 38.8, the scripture that we, we're looking at, uh, it, it says that there will be a regathering of the children of Israel, uh, and we see that that's one of the things that Ezekiel says, and it's also confirmed by the prophet Isaiah. Both of these prophets uh, spoke some 600 years before these events took place. That's quite an amazing thing to, to actually be uh, carefully and a detailed prophecy of what's going to take place very specifically 600 years in advance. And I just want to uh, read to you Isaiah 66, 7. I want to read it from the Living Bible. Um, because it, it is the clearest in that verse, version. Isaiah 66, verse 7. It says this, Who has heard or seen anything as strange as this? For in one day, suddenly, a nation, Israel, shall be born, even before the birth pangs come. In a moment, just as Israel's anguish starts, the baby is born and the nation begins. Isn't that incredible? Do you know that that prophecy was fulfilled May 15th, 1948? Israel became a nation. In one day, the nation was birthed and after 2,000 years of being dispersed abroad. In the exact fulfillment of, 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 of Scripture, this book shows divine authorship. This book is, can be trusted because God has revealed the future to us. You know, it was Lord Balfour who had been reading the Old Testament and saw that God was going to bring the, the, the Jewish people back to the, the land. And so just before, uh, the, in around about, I think he was about uh, 1920, he started to get the, the Balfour decree together, which promised the state of Israel uh, a homeland. 
but nobody at that time could possibly foresee uh, that, that that would how that would be because there was no nation for the people to be given a land. And, and of course, you know, after the Second World War, the persecution of, of the Jews, the, the hearts of the people of the world were touched. And so they, they gathered the remaining Jewish people and they gave them the homeland. Uh, really, it was the land that God had given them. Uh, they're not occupiers of the land. Can I have a big amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Israel has always had that land. And so uh, God returned them uh, as he prophesied uh, nearly two and a half thousand years before by the prophet Isaiah. As we go through, this is rather a complicated prophecy. And I want to try and simplify it as much as possible. And what I'll do is I, I will... I will give you a broad overview, and then I'll give you some detail, and then I'll summarize the detail so that we can hopefully get it all track together. Okay. But really, the fact that Israel is back in the land is one of the major super signs of prophecy, because all the other prophecies depend on Israel being in the land. You know, there was a time a uh, hundred years ago when, when Christians were actually mocked about talking about end-time prophecies. Because they said, there's no nation of Israel. You, you guys are mad. But today, just as God predicted, the, the nation has come back to the land. And, so Israel being in the land is a super sign of prophecy. It is the most significant of all the time prophecies. And all the other prophecies hinge on the fact that Israel is back in the land. again. I want us to look at prophecy and look at history and see that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's what's got me so excited. I love to God refresh the inspiration of scripture to me. I'm excited that this book contains the future. This book shows us exactly what is going to take place. And so, uh, you know, when you when you look at history and you look at uh, a, a prophecy, they're like, go hand in glove. They fit perfectly together. And it really proves that the Bible is the word of God. That the omnipotence of the Lord is on them. The omniscience of God is on display there because he's declaring future events. Remember Isaiah said, you know, I, I'm the Lord. I, I showed the, the end from the beginning and he goes on to talk about God declares and knows exactly what is contained in the future. The Bible is of divine authorship. Okay? And so uh, if God is behind every word, every page, every chapter of Scripture, you can trust this book implicitly. History and prophecy prove that you can trust it. <laughs> so, I just want to have a look. See, we've got a, a new... Um, okay. Oh, hey, go back. Go back. Go back. Right. We've got a new... A new what's the name? Oh, that, that's right. Very nice. So, I want to give us an overview um, of what, what we're going to study this morning. So that, all that was just free, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but, so I want to look at this, this prophecy found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's sometimes called the Battle of, of Gog and Magog or the Ezekiel 38 war. It has different names. But really the prophecy is simply about a war. And if you can keep that in mind, then when we go into the detail, uh, you, you won't get too far lost because it's just describing the battle that is going to take place. And really, uh, what Ezekiel 38 and 39 does is describes uh, a coalition of nations 
that comes against Israel. And the prophecy says that when these nations come against Israel to attack them, that God is going to supernaturally intervene. Do you remember like he did in Egypt? You know, when, when the people of God were being oppressed by Pharaoh, God directly intervened. And he said in, in the book of Exodus that he did this, that the world might know that there is a God in Israel. That the world might know that there is a God. You know, today the world has forgotten there is a God. The world rejects God and sees him as irrelevant and redundant and, and not really a part of our lives. I'm telling you, when this battle takes place, uh, you're going to see that the, one of the stated aims of, of the Ezekiel prophecy is that the nation and the nations of the world are going to realize that there is a God behind history and the world. And so the Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, chapters are really about this coalition that come down to attack Israel. God directly intervenes and saves Israel. That's the, the prophecy in a nutshell. Okay? Um, it's the complete picture that prophecy paints, minus a whole lot of detail. But how I many you know the detail can be fascinating? And so we're going to dig into some of the detail because it is really quite exciting when you do that. But it, just keep in mind that this is just about a battle uh, against Israel that God intervenes and destroys them. Before we get in too deeply into the prophecy, I want to share something about my life. Uh, that is relevant to the book of Ezekiel. And I'm not that old, but I saw that book. <laughs> but, you know, um, if you read the, the prophecy, you'll see that the, uh, the, the names you read, you know, well, where, where's all this? Uh, and so we'll get into that in a second. But I was born uh, in, in, uh, in a country called the Federation of uh, Southern Indonesia. And uh, later in 1965, they changed the name instead of being the Federation of Southern Rhodesia, it just became known as Rhodesia. Then in 1979, the same country changed its name again. No wonder I have an identity crisis. Eh? <laughs> so, you know, they, they changed the name again and became Zimbabwe Rhodesia. <laughs> and a year later, they came and they said, no, no, we just want to call it Zimbabwe. And that's what it's called today. So it had, it's had about four name changes just in my lifetime. These prophecies stretch back thousands of years. And so it's not surprising that the names written uh, in, in the prophecy are, bear no relation to the names um, that are uh, uh, around us today. So our job is to go back and look at the, 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 what the Bible says and then go through uh, research, find out what the contemporary names of those places were so that we can identify uh, who these countries are that the prophets are talking about. So we're looking for the modern-day equivalents of what uh, Ezekiel said. Okay. Right, are you ready to start the prophecy? Yes. Okay, three of you. Okay, I'm coming back next week. If, you, if I can get a more healthy yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay, Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 8. So that's what we're going to... We're going to look at it in some detail. But we're going to start and just break it down because, as I say, it's complicated. Ezekiel 38, 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him. Okay. So Gog is the person and Magog is the land. Okay. And so, yes, the difficulty of the place. And what we also need to know is 
That, that's a strange name to be called Gog. <laughs> we are not looking for a man called Gog who's going to lead this invasion. In fact, Gog is a title, uh, much like Pharaoh or uh, the president or Caesar or you know, the, the king or the sultan. It's a, just a title. Gog is a title. Um, and according to Dr. Hitchcock, it means the high and exalted. And so you kind of get the impression that this, this person is going to lead the, the Magog invasion. I think he's the, the cat's whiskers, so to speak. You know, he, he really thinks he's something special. Okay. So the prophecy is against the king or the man or Gog and the land of Magog. Now, some of you may have heard in, in uh, about the teaching of, of the Bible, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you'll know that there's only one other occasion where this term Gog and Magog appear. And it's found in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 8. And uh, some people have therefore said, well, that's the only other information we have about the Gog and Magog battle. And so they, they think that this battle actually takes place at the end of the, the millennium when Satan is released after the thousand years and we have the, the couple. Now, if you take a real careful study of that, I think it's very easy to disprove that that's not the case, okay? Uh, because there are a number of differences. That while there might be some similarities in the prophecies, for example, uh, it talks about in both prophecies, Revelation and in Ezekiel, that um, the, the, after the war, the birds and, and the animals will come down and devour the fish. That's a commonality. But the differences between the two prophecies are so profound and so uh, in, uh, so conclusive that I think we can rule out very clearly that these are not uh, the same battles. So let me just see if I can find uh, the next uh, slide. Here it is. Uh, so I want to say right from the outset, I don't believe uh, that God is the Antichrist. Some people will teach you that, uh, but I don't believe it is, and I'm going to share my reasons with you. Remember, the Antichrist leads the final battles in the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the Tribulation. Uh, and as I said, God and may God appear in this. The only other time it appears is in Revelation 20 and verse 8. But a class study will reveal these two differences. I've just taken out a, a couple of them. There are many more, but I want to share just the ones that I found uh, significant, okay? That really shows that these two battles are not the same. In Ezekiel, the battle is fought where? In the mountains. In Revelation, the battle is fought in the plains, in the valley of Medica. There's a big difference between the mountain and the plain, isn't it? That's the first difference. Then there's, uh, uh, in Ezekiel, he talks about a limited list of nations in the battle. In Revelation, all the nations come together to fight. And so, again, different combatants. Chronologically, the battle is before the millennium in Ezekiel 38. Chronologically, in Revelation, the battle is after the millennium. So you not only have a different time frame, uh, you have different combatants, you have different places where it's going. Your leadership. In Ezekiel, the battle is led by God. In Revelation, it's led by Satan. So you've got different leaders leading these two different battles. Finally, God destroys God by an earthquake, pale, a plague, pestilence, infighting, uh, and, uh, you know, friendly fire, and all sorts of things like that. that that's how the battle of uh, Gog and Magog ends. But in Revelation, 
God destroys Satan by his word. By the word of his power. Okay. So, if I could ask, just, just I'm sure some questions will come up as, as we go through the figures of this quite complicated. If you could just bear in mind, if you could hold your questions to the end, I would appreciate the same thing getting confused. And I wouldn't like to do that. So, let's read on and go back to verse 1 and start. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against God, the man or the king of the land of Magan, chief prince of Rosh. My Bible says that in the margin. Most Bibles say Rosh. Maybe your Bible does not. Okay. But it's against the chief prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. The question arises, well, why are some versions say Rosh? And other versions leave it out completely. It's just a matter of interpretation of the law of hermeneutics that uh, uh, you have to decide whether Rosh uh, is a, 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 an adjective or, remember, a describing word or a noun, a people, place, or thing. Uh, and, and some of the, the translators have decided that uh, it, it's a noun, and uh, so it's a, a special place, and therefore they include Rosh in the scripture. Uh, others decide, no, it's, it's an adjective, and they leave it out, but they put a footnote. I'm using the NIV, and uh, if when you read that, you'll see there's a little one or a little two uh, next to the verse, and uh, that, that directs you to the footnote that says Rosh. So the, the footnote gives you the alternative rendering of or interpretation of the scripture. So whether it appears in the body of scripture or whether Rosh appears in the footnote, Rosh is there. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. So, uh, some people get all bent out of shape because you know, their Bible doesn't say that, but that's why. So, yeah. Now, I'm, some people like Dr. Hagen and other very eminent scholars uh, point out that Meshach is modern day Moscow and Tubal is now the city of Tbilisi. Okay. <laughs> They say, well, how on earth do they get that? Okay. The, 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 there are a group of people called ethnologists. And ethnologists are people who track the migratory routes. No, oh, sorry. I'm supposed to be there. Um, they track the migratory routes of, uh, of, of different people around the world. And so we see that uh, these uh, uh, ethnologists uh, actually came to study um, these. Uh, ethnic movements, the groups of these people moving around the world. And they tell us that after Noah's flood, the Jephthites uh, traveled north beyond the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea and settled in an area known as Rosh. We don't find that in the Bible except in the footnotes of that. Which is now modern-day Russia. And that's one of the ways that you can tell historically connecting the dots that Rosh is Russia. Dr. Uh, uh, David Jeremiah says, that Rosh is just the shortened version of Russia. This can be proved linguistically, geographically, and philosophically, but I'm not going to do that today because it's boring. <laughs> I can, if you're really interested, I can, I can show it to you later, but it's boring. Uh, but it does really prove that, that uh, Rosh is Russia in my uh, manner of thinking. Dr. Tan came along and said, most scholars talk about Mabel. Talked about Rosh uh, being Russia, and now we're looking at Magog. Okay. 
Dr. Tan says most scholars trace Magog's descendant to the ancient people known as the Scythians, okay, who make up the people of Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and all those other Stan nations. You know, there, there are a whole lot of them, okay, the Stan nations. And they live uh, in the area around the Black Sea uh, and uh, in, in, in what is uh, what was southern, southern Russia. Okay. So all these uh, countries, the Stan nations, were part of the old Soviet Union. All this helps us identify that what we're talking about in this prophecy is that Russia is going to arise and be one of the, the nations that comes against Israel in the last days. And so that if you can hold on to that, you'll see exactly where the prophecy is going. So Russia is rising and is going to come against Israel in the last days. Okay. So three times in Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39, it tells us the invaders are from the north. There are various Bible descriptions of it. Some of them say the NIVs, for example, says far north of the Bible, so the uttermost parts of the north, or the distant north, or the remotest parts of the north. So now we can go on to this. I'm sorry, I tried to find a high resolution of these images, and there was no high resolution. So uh, I'm just going to have to point that. Do we have a, a, a pointer? pointer at the top? Okay. Right. Over here, uh, if you can see, this is the Mediterranean here, and this little patch of land, that tiny little patch of land, that's Israel. Okay. Uh, and the, the Bible tells us that these invaders are coming from the far north of Israel. So if you go far north, what country do you find? Russia. If you go any further, you into the sea. That's the end. Of, that's the end of the world over there. So if you want to know where the end of the world is, it's in Russia. <laughs> But directly north of, of Israel is Russia. So again, this really ties in the fact that it's the Russians who lead this coalition, and there are going to be many other nations that come down as we read the prophecy. You'll see that. Okay. Um, look, you can see uh, there, there again uh, is Israel uh, at the bottom there. And if you go in north, interestingly, Ukraine is there. And if you go a little bit further north, still to the extreme, you get to Russia. And so there's a great big disturbance, if, if you are aware, uh, if you've been following the news, uh, that, that that's where the war has been fought. Uh, so it, it's very interesting that these nations have come into play. So the war, being led by Russia and the coalition of nations. We're going to go on and going to read um, some of these other nations that are going to join with Russia. Verse 4 uh, of uh, Ezekiel 38 says this, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth uh, and all thine arm. You know, God thinks he's in control. God thinks he's mounting this invasion against Israel. But it's not his idea. It's God's idea. God's bringing judgment now. He's now going to reveal himself to the world as, hey, I am the God of Israel. And so he brings Russia down to attack Israel. And it says this, I'm going to bring you forth with all your, his, your armies, your horsemen uh, and horses, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. Let me just pause there for a second. Some people say that this battle has already passed, and they derive it from that verse because they say these combatants are 
running around with primitive uh, uh, weapons, you know, swords and bows and all the rest of it, gliding horses. But if you study history, you will see that never in history have these nations ever come against the nation of Israel. Never. And so it, it's impossible for this battle to have been happened in the past, despite the description. I think what the prophet is trying to, to tell his readers, and certainly his contemporaries, I mean, if Ezekiel started talking about laser-guided missiles and tanks and jet, <laughs> supersonic jet fighters, for centuries and centuries, nobody would know what on earth they're talking about. And so God simply uh, conveys the idea of the battle and talks about wars and, and the weapons that they were familiar with. Okay. Now it goes on, and as Russia arises, we, we see in verse 6 some of the other main players that are mentioned uh, in, in this confederacy that comes against Israel. It says in verse 6, Goma and all his bands, the house of Tadama of the north and all his bands and many people with me. Will you say that? And many people with me. Okay. So th this is not the entire list. Okay. There are others that are going to be involved. And, and Tugama and Turkey, uh, I'll just see if I can find a better map. Tugama and Turkey uh, over here. Uh, this is Turkey over here. Uh, and th those two nations, Tugama. And, uh, and uh, Tugama and Goma, I should say. I, I was doing tongue time. Those two nations come from Turkey and many peoples with me. Goes on to say in verse 7 about this coalition Be thou prepared and prepare thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a God unto them. After many days, thou shalt be visited in the latter years. You need to understand something that when, when the Old Testament prophets spoke about the latter years, that was a buzzword. That was a key word, meaning the end times. So here in this verse, we are uh, the, the, the time frame of when this battle against Israel is going to take place is going to be in the end times, in the latter days. And they're going to, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people. Do you remember we, we said that Jesus prophesied the scattering of the people? And, uh, and uh, here we've got Ezekiel written nearly two and a half thousand years before it happened. Ezekiel saying, hey, the people of Israel are going to come back to the land. And that's what this prophecy is telling us, that in the latter years, uh, Israel is going to come back to the land. And against the mountains of Israel carries on. That's verse 8. So we know that when we say that this is a reference to Israel's latter days, that we actually meant the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall go safe with all of them. Okay. Some of you may be getting lost in, in, in some of the detail, but let me just give you a broad brush. Okay. In the last days, in the end times, the latter years, whichever phrase you choose to use. Russia will rise and bring a coalition of nations against them. The five major players I want to give them to you, they are Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, Libya, and Sudan. We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail, and then you're going to see just how amazingly relevant this prophecy is. So those are the five major players, Russia, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, and Libya. 
since the fall of Sudan, I say uh, probably 10 plus years ago, you remember the Iraqi wars, uh, you know, Russia has been very involved uh, in Libya, trying to uh, help rebuild Libya, trying to get in and has built a very strong relation with the Libyans, one of the coalition nations that is in Germany. I think it's interesting that Russia wants anything to do with Libya. You know, amazing. And yet they are bound, they're building these incredibly strong ties. Sudan is a moment. If you know anything about Sudan, Sudan's one of those uh, nations that is a very strong Islamic nation, and they are out there murdering Christians and Jews wherever they find them. They're just annihilating them. It's radical Islam in the land of Sudan. Russia is involved in Sudan. Russia currently is trying to get a naval base in, in the midst of Sudan. Isn't that interesting? The major players that, that Ezekiel prophesies about and talks about, yeah, we've got Russia trying to negotiate and be, be part of uh, the, the, these guys' lives. Two and a half thousand years ago, this prophecy was given to tell us exactly which nations would be coming against Israel. I was listening to a U.S. writer, and he, he made an interesting comment. He said, you know, there are only two African nations that don't recognize the land of Israel. You know what those two nations are? Libya Sudan, absolutely. And so and it, it really all ties together. Uh, the players that Ezekiel singled out two and a half thousand years ago, Russia was deeply involved in. Okay, remember in verse six, I, I, I got you to say, and many other people. Okay. I want to uh, show you uh, the many other people. And uh, here, here we've got a, a picture uh, of Russia. Uh, here in, in tan is Turkey, and in pink, we've got Persia, which is, you know, some of you guys are old enough to remember when, when it was called Persia. Uh, it's now called Iran. Okay, uh, so Persia and pink. Uh, Turkey and Tan, uh, and some of your Bibles will say that uh, that Put uh, and Kush are the lands that are involved in this confederation that's coming against Israel. Now, these are old Hebrew names, and you have to go back and, and search what what the modern equivalents are. And uh, it, Kush really uh, is here in the south. It's the land south of Egypt. Here's the Mediterranean Sea over there. Here is Egypt, and, and so Kush is this land, and it can involve the Horn of Africa, uh, so Ethiopia. So Sudan and Ethiopia could be uh, all the land of Kush mentioned in some translations. Other translations will talk about another nation called Put. And, uh, Put is west of Egypt, again is Egypt, and Put is in purple, uh, and that is the land and so the five countries that we've spoken about, the five, five major uh, proponents of this war against Israel are all linked together with Russia. Amazing. Two and a half thousand years ago, that was foretold. Now, um, here, uh, here are some of the other peoples that we, we talk about, the stand nations. This map was compiled by Dr. Ron Rhodes. Uh, it's not mine, but he, he put it together. And uh, here are the uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. And so all the stand nations are there. Uh, and 
you'll see uh, that they are really bordering southern Russia it's part, and they used to be part of the old Russian Federation. Now, how many know that when Russia invaded Ukraine, that there, that there was a vote in the United Nations to condemn that? It happened on, on May 2nd, 2022. And uh, Dr. Tan points out in a special session uh, that was brought together to condemn Russia's actions, all these stand nations uh, uh, refused to condemn Russia. Surprise, surprise. Can you believe it? The stand, the other peoples that come with Russia, uh, the other people uh, are, are very coalescent with Russia to come against Israel. Now, incredibly, two and a half thousand years ago, Ezekiel predicts the rise of Russia and all the nations that would come against the name of Israel. If that doesn't say to you that this Bible is inspired, I think, I think you'll never be convinced. But it really is to me an astounding prophecy. Okay. The exact nations are coming together and they're all united around Russia. That is happening right now as we speak. It's been do you know what all these nations have in common? They're all Muslim nations. They're all Muslim nations, except for Russia. Russia is not a Muslim nation. But did you know Russia has the largest Muslim population anywhere in Europe? There are between 20 and 25 million Muslims in Russia, according to the Grand Mufti in Russia. So it is a very strongly pro-Muslim nation, even though it is not classified as a Muslim nation. Okay, so the second thing these uh, nations have in common is the Muslim leadership want what? The destruction of Israel. That's what they want, the destruction of Israel. So here's what you need. We're going, to, we're, going to get, we're going to get to that. Uh, so this is just really forming the picture uh, about the nations that are coming together. Uh, and so uh, it's what you see is the, uh, these nations, that these 15% of Russia is Muslims. Uh, and really the, the Muslim nations are really, yes, they definitely offer the spoil, but they, they also, if you look at it, they, they are very uh, anti-Israel and want the destruction of Israel. Do you, Remember, okay, um, that, that these nations are very much the nations that are in the headlines of the news today. I tell you, it's, uh, it's amazing. The prophecy pot is boiling, it's bubbling away incredibly. Okay, uh, so for the sake of time, let's just look at what these uh, Islamic nations want. Do you remember in 2005, the, the Prime Minister or the President, I should say, of Iran, actually, uh, his, uh, Muhammad. Uh, Mahmoud, who ain't my dinner and dad, I can't pronounce, I can't pronounce his name, um, but, but you know who I'm talking about. And he came out with a statement that said, Israel is a disgraceful block that needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. It was a murderous uh, statement of intent. Uh, it was very Hitler-esque. Okay? So uh, you, you see that, that that was their intention back then. And he's talking about the total annihilation of Israel. Remember, Iran is part of Ezekiel's 
confederation or invasion group. In March 2016, Iran tested their new long-range ballistic missile, and they called it the K-bar smasher. You have to understand something of the history to understand their intentions. Now, uh, uh, way back when, uh, there was a war between the Jews and the Muslims at the, at the K-bar oasis. And the Muslims actually annihilated the Jews. Uh, and so when they were looking for a name for their new missile, they came up with the imaginative title of the K-bar crusher. And so I think there's no uh, ambiguity in, in what they, that they're wanting to actually annihilate Israel. Over and over again, we see that, uh, that, uh, that Iran is ready and wanting to go to war with Israel. Several months ago, uh, the Iran Supreme Leadership Representative called for the destruction of Israel. That was just a few months ago. And so you can see that the desire of Iran has never been to accept Israel. They want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, calling for their total destruction. Six months ago, the U.S. general uh, said this, that Iran uh, is nearly able to pull a nuclear weapon. You know that, that, that nuclear weapons program is moving along at uh, a fast rate. Uh, some estimates say it could be as little as 60 days from now before they have enough weapons grade plutonium to build a bomb. So we, we're really uh, in, in, in the end. The problem is uh, that just before, uh, let me just read this. The same article that I read that told us about the fact that, that they were so close to having the bomb went on to say, less than a week before the world powers resumed negotiations over Iran's nuclear program, the top US commander in the Middle East says, Listen, his forces stand ready with a potential military option should nuclear talks fail. Wow. That's how close we are getting. This is a powder keg just waiting to go off. It didn't happen then, but it could happen any moment. You know, Israel and uh, Iran are the bitterest of enemies because Iran is always calling for the destruction and the annihilation of Israel. And that's why there's such animosity between these two nations. And, and Iran is the one that is supplying Hezbollah and, uh, and Hamas with all the, the, this military equipment to, to wage war against Israel. Because both Hezbollah and Hamas totally reject the, the nation of Israel and are at war against them. And so it's really quite interesting that Russia and Iran on the Ezekiel Confederation are supporting and equipping Hamas and Hezbollah in a proxy war against Israel. <laughs> this is getting dodgy. The military alignments of Ezekiel, uh, a 2,000 year old prophecy, is bubbling away. Most of the pieces of this prophecy are already in place. Okay, here we have a picture of these guys looking very happy with each other. And of course, uh, on, on the left here, uh, is Hussein Rouhani, Turkey's uh, uh, leader. Uh, we've been living with uh, uh, Turkey's Erdogan, and of course, Putin uh, is on the left, on the right, I should say, as well. Now, I want to read you some headlines uh, from a newspaper. It says, Following the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, relations between Turkey and Russia have improved significantly 
the two countries are now each other's largest trading partners. Man, they do more business with Turkey than any other. The fly on the ointment of this prophecy is at the moment that Turkey is part of NATO. Uh, but did you know that uh, it, it's that uh, they are not only the the, 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 uh, the biggest trade the trading partners, uh, they also buy natural gas from Russia and their arms system. What does NATO uh, think about uh, one of their partners buying Russian arms? Well, it's really interesting. The American press said this, and I quote, this is the clearest sign of Turkey's pivot towards Russia and away from NATO and the West. You see it taking place right now. NATO is buying Russian arms. It should be buying NATO's. Turkey may switch sides any moment because their, their, their most important interests are intertwined with Russia over the nation of Syria. Now, when you add all this into the mix, there's one other factor that I would like to draw to your attention. Okay? this, that today, uh, Russia has nearly 60,000, it's an army of 60,000 people in Syria, okay, uh, here is Israel, okay, and uh, just to the north and to the right is Syria, the Russian army has 60,000 people stationed in Syria ready to go, uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> The main players of Ezekiel's prophecy, Russia, Iran, Turkey, are ready to boil over. I want to read you uh, uh, an article that uh, those of you that have possibly even seen this uh, online for yourselves, uh, the, the story carried by Israel's Channel 13 News and covered by CNNnews.com. And I want to read this. Israel has had strong ties with Russia and coordinates with Moscow on air uh, strikes against Iranian targets in Syria. Since, the Russia, since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine, its traditionally strong ties with Israel have deteriorated as Jerusalem attempts to walk a diplomatic tightrope between the two warring nations. Initially, Israel avoided directly condemning Moscow, but voiced support Ukraine. This has not gone down well in Moscow. CBN goes on to say Israel's foreign ministry later accused Russia of committing war crimes uh, after the reports emerged of the processes there. Ties deteriorated even further after Russia's foreign minister made anti Semitic marks that invoked the Holocaust to falsely accuse the Ukrainian government of being run by neo Nazis. This deepens the crisis between Russia and Israel. This is the start of, of this message. I was sitting there watching uh, this war on YouTube, and this is what I saw. The report goes on. Jerusalem, Israel. Russian forces open fire on Israeli fighter jets. Some of you may have seen that. Let me say it again. Russian forces opened fire on Israeli fighter jets while they were allegedly carrying out airstrikes in Syria last week. Israel's news media reported on Monday 
According to the channel, the incident happened on Friday as Israeli pirates attacked Iranian targets and weapons detached in southern Mediterranean. Russian forces reportedly opened fire on Israeli pirates using advanced Russian anti-aircraft missiles. Whoa. Ezekiel prophesied that Russia would go to war with Israel. She has an army just to the north, and now the first shots have been fired. I think that that's very interesting. Could this be the opening salvos of the Ezekiel 38 war? It's too early to say. That's the, that's the honest answer at the moment, but it sure is shaping up. That's very interesting. A good chess player can see Czech make many moves ahead. This prophecy is coming alive before our very eyes. Most of the alliances are already in place. Some countries are wanting to go to war with Israel already. Iran is actually fighting that proxy war. Hamas and Hezbollah. The Lord is coming soon. That's what I take out of this. Iran yes. is, is coming back, even as the prophecy has happened. It's happening right now, just as Ezekiel said, two and a half thousand years ago. I don't believe that this is the fulfillment yet, but I believe that we are standing on the threshold of this major prophecy being fulfilled. You can see we are so close to that happening now. I just want to, I just want to say something. Let's talk about this uh, map of the end times. Uh, we are living here in the church age, and if you ask me, I think we're about there. I think that the rapture is going to take place just about any moment from now. We'll be taken up and say, Hallelujah. Aren't you glad about that? We are not going to have to go through this big mess. We're not going to have to go through this war. I think this Ezekiel, this is the big problem with, with this prophecy is the actual timing. And uh, we could take the time to go through, but then we wouldn't get out of here tomorrow. But, uh, I think that the, the, this war that we're talking about, Ezekiel 38 war, actually takes place here, right after the, the, the rapture or at the very beginning. Of, of the tribulation. Remember that the rapture uh, ends the church age, but it's the signing of the peace covenant, the peace treaty uh, with Israel for seven years with the Antichrist that actually begins the tribulation, where the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls judgment begin to reign uh, out of the nation. And it's here at the beginning when you have this temporary peace uh, with Israel uh, and the temple uh, of. of you know, Israel has been wanting to build, has been built here. And in the midst of the, the three and a half years, uh, you know, the Antichrist goes into the temple. And I'm not going to go too much further into that because we covered that quite extensively when we looked at the book of Revelation. But I think that if you can see that here is, is the war uh, of Ezekiel, uh, how close then are we to the rapture? How close? Are we to the rapture? If you can see the players and the circumstances beginning to align uh, for the for this battle in, in Ezekiel, I think we are living in very very interesting times. We know that the rapture happens uh, prior uh, to the tribulation, so we need to awake from our sleep, church. You know, we need to be. I love what Sandy was saying because we need to be telling people that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And it could be so much sooner than the, than the vast majority of the church realizes. We are standing on the threshold of this prophecy being fulfilled, and the church is raptured before that. Then we are running out of time. 
So how much time do we have to get our loved ones saved? How much time do we have to tell the world? We do not have much time. It is critical. The rest of the prophecy goes on. I'm just going to summarize for the sake of time. Okay? God says these nations will come down to attack Israel and God will fight for his people. I love that because, you know, Israel has the best defense of all nations. Did you know? It's God Almighty. Uh, it says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel, neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is the shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. God Almighty is Israel's protector. And when these nations come down, they think it's their idea, but God actually put the hook in their mouth to drag them down so that he can deal with them. So, as I said, the timing of the battle is the most complex to actually pinpoint. And then there are five different uh, timings that, that, that vary by a few years. One is by nearly a thousand years, um, which is what we look at Revelation 20. Um, I think that that's probably not enough. But I believe that uh, Ezekiel 13 to 18 is just after the during the tribulation. Okay. Christians are gone. We're in glory. Hallelujah. We're going home to be with the Lord very soon. Very soon. Very soon. You know, this, this time over here, uh, the, the time of the seals and the trumpet and the bold judgments is going to be the time of the greatest devastation that the world has ever seen. But the church is not going through that because it, Daniel 9 tells us that, that, that this time is determined upon thy people. Thy people being Daniel's people, the Jews. So this is the time of Jacob's trouble, okay? So we're seeing that uh, right now, uh, we're seeing this uh, whole thing beginning to take place. The Christians are gone. This is Daniel 17. Okay. Now, Ezekiel 38, 11 says, You will say, I will invade the land of unwalled villages, and I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people all of them living without walls and without gates and walls. He speaks in the timing of the, the battle. It's uh, in the end times and uh, in the last days. And I believe that there's only one time when the nation of Israel is peaceful and unsuspecting. Peaceful and unsuspecting. It's when Israel signs the peace treaty with the Antichrist. She thinks that the Antichrist is going to protect them. And she's peaceful. So I think that that really um, clarifies when this battle is going to take place. Remember, as I said, the rapture ends the church age with the signing of the, the peace treaty with the Antichrist begins the tribulation. Those are the two prophecies. So why is this war going to take place? You know, if you go back 50 years ago, 60 years ago, uh, Israel was just a desert. There was nothing there. And people would look at this problem and say, why on earth would, would anybody bother to go and invade the land of shipping guns? You know, there's nothing there. But, you know, recently, in the last couple of decades, uh, they, they have found incredible oil and natural gas deposits. In fact, did you know that in Israel, they, com they comprise the world's largest shale oil deposits? The largest shale oil deposits in the world. They've got so much oil. Then uh, a company called uh, Noble Gas, a Houston-based company, 
uh, first made its discovery of gas in Israel in 1999. Uh, they found more than 30 trillion cubic feet. Trillion cubic feet. A trillion is a million times a million. I don't know, this, this wall probably about 50, 60 feet long. Uh, can you imagine going a million feet down that, that direction? Then a million feet in that direction. And then a million feet up that cubic feet. And um, 30 trillion. Israel has got so much natural gas, she could never use it in, in many lifetimes. It's absolutely incredible. And listen to this. This is what I found absolutely astounding. Despite that, some experts say new discoveries could double all that. <laughs> that is a lot of plunder. That is a lot of loot. That is a lot of goods. And I think that that's why they're going to come. Why? Because now listen to a statement that I'm going to read to you from a US specialist of the State Department. I think I actually have a, a slide with this. Okay? This is what the a US specialist of the State Department said. Currently, Putin is continuing to make at least a billion dollars a day selling oil and gas, and the lion's share is from Europe. A billion dollars a day. That is a huge fortune in any man's language. Now, talks of, since they've discovered all this gas, and, and Russia has been so antagonistic, uh, 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 switching off gas to, to Poland and, and other regions that don't agree with it, uh, suddenly people think, I don't think it's such a good idea that actually Russia controls our economy. And so the latest talks now are saying that Israel has the capacity to supply all of Europe with the gas that she needs gas and the oil. Well, how do you think Russia is going to feel about handing over a billion dollar a day deal to the Israelis? Do you think that they're going to want to stop this? <laughs> oh, yes, you bet. So, yes, this could actually trigger the war that we're talking about. That's how close it is. You can see it taking place. Ezekiel 16, Says that, and we're really coming to a close now. We're going to have a few more thoughts, so if you just bear with me, I'll bring you to each other. Ezekiel 38 16 the nations go to war, and God glorifies himself as he judges these nations as he gives back his time. The reason is so that the whole world will know that there is a God in heaven. Amen. Amen. That's why God does it. And Ezekiel uh, 38 19 through 23 talks about how God is going to do it. Uh, he sends earthquakes against this massive coalition that's coming down to destroy Israel. Earthquakes, and uh, every man's sword will be against his brother. Uh, that's talking about friendly fire. Perhaps the, the, the Muslims and the Russians think that one or the other is trying to uh, betray them, and so we have a friendly fire incident. God says there will be plagues and hailstones, and so there will be a great judgment upon those that come down to attack the nation of Israel. The Bible actually says in Ezekiel 39.2 that this invading force is actually going to be decimated. Five, six of these people that come down when, when we saw all those nations uh, way, way back when, you know, um, five, six of all those nations that come against Israel are going to be wiped out. Ezekiel 39.2. So this jihad against Israel 
is annihilated. The power and the influence of the Muslim world is destroyed. That's when God rises against them. So let's keep it all together. Maybe this is about a battle. The Christians are raptured. We're going to be uh, with the Lord. We are not going through the tribulation. Uh, we are in heaven with Christ. Okay. Uh, the Muslims' nation invasion is destroyed. Their power and influence is over. Dr. Reagan points out that their faith in Allah is shattered because God has now judged the, the, the standing nations. And they are shattered. 516 are now destroyed. The result of this, if this is all correct, and this is conjecture, but it really fits the overall picture. It may be that because there are no uh, Jews, uh, uh, no Muslims protesting the building of the Jewish temple, that it can go ahead easily. Remember, that's the great that's the great hindrance right now, is the Muslims don't want Israel to build their third temple. But if five, six of them are destroyed, they're no longer a force to be reckoned with, and maybe it's going to be, that's why the Antichrist can actually build the third temple where nobody else could, because God has already judged these nations. It also opens up the way of a one-world religion and the false prophet prophesied in, in, in the book of Revelation. Why? Because there are only two real groups that would stand against a one-world religion, and they are the Muslims and the Christians. Well, the Christians are where? We are in glory. We're celebrating. We're having a wonderful time. And the Muslims, they've been decimated. They're no longer a force to be reckoned with. And so there's no real opposition to this one-world syncretist religion arising, and uh, we, we see that this could happen very easily. So we see how all this is working together. So as we look at this, you know, as we look at Bible prophecy, we can have peace that God is on the throne. God knows exactly what is going to happen. He knows everything, and it's going to be wonderful. Prophecy, Bible prophecy, is not meant to scare us, but to prepare us. It's not meant to entertain us, but to change us. Things are not falling apart. They're falling in place. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? God is bringing it all together. In our day, the news headlines are screaming this prophecy out over and over again. So I remember seeing a sign on the cyclist's door. The sign read, uh, closed due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> you would have thought they would have seen that one coming, wouldn't you? Listen. God is never taken by surprise. Nothing that's happening in the world is confusing God. There are no emergency crisis meetings of, of, the, of the Trinity. God's plan is on time and on schedule. As I close, I know it's been a bit longer than I Praise God. You know, I think that this may have happened to, to all of you at some point. I love rugby and the cave. I try my very best not to hear the score before the, the match is played. And there have been times when I've actually accidentally switched on the radio and heard the score of the match before it's played. Ah, irritation. Well, somebody comes and tells you the truth, you know. Ah. But the thing is, it, it was um, uh, when, when you watch the match later, how many of you know you can be down and out? But if you know the end of the score, it's not very exciting. You know you're going to win. It doesn't matter what you And I think that that's exactly uh, what the Bible prophecy is supposed to do. If you know what's going to happen, 
and you can be at peace. You know, you can watch the match and you know that you're going to win. God is coming back for his people. I feel this in a moment, in a twinkling of eye. We're going to be caught up. So pack up, look up, because we're going up the rapture in Jesus Christ. The only question, and I close, are you and your loved ones saved? Are you ready to meet the Lord? To give an account of the judgment seat of Christ. I urge you, if your life is not right before the Lord, give it right before it's too late. Time Father, I want to thank you for people's patience. I want to thank you, Lord, for, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that the very uh, newspaper headlines are screaming out that this prophecy is imminently to be fulfilled. Lord, we're standing on the threshold of one of the major prophecies determining the, the timing of, of your return. And so, Father God, we just pray that. We would, we would live our lives accordingly, that we would be children of light, that we would turn away from the things of darkness, that we would repent and live our lives virtuously and righteously before you. Lord, I thank you that you help us to do that because we cannot do it by ourselves. But I pray, Father, that you would strengthen each and every person that is listening to this message to do that which is right and pleasing in your sight because we are certainly uh, approaching your second coming very Lord, I pray that we recognize that when we are uh, raptured, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to tell our loved ones, to tell those around us, our friends and neighbors, of the soon approach of Jesus. So, Lord, bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. 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 Let me just give you 